0: Again, I was looking for shortcuts and I I wasn't doing the work to build a real business. We went all in on that business model. And when I mean all in, I spent the last of my rent money in doing the things they said to do. It went to bust. It went flat out to bust. I couldn't afford rent. And my wife and I had to actually move back in with my parents. And literally, it felt like my world fell apart around me. And I was not delivering on my promises to my beautiful new bride of this successful entrepreneurial life. And out of that, we were able to scrape together $95.40 for web hosting and a domain name. And that time it was different. It was like-
1: You're listening to Miles Beckler describe the immense failure he faced after unsuccessfully trying to build over 15 different online businesses. However, that didn't stop Miles. In fact, the moment he's describing proved to be a significant turning point in his life and career. Since then, Miles has gone on to build a highly successful website that receives over 8 million views per year and helps him and his wife earn a full-time income online. Miles has tried many online sales and marketing tactics and systematically figured out what works through trial and error. Even now, he continues to experiment and stay at the cutting edge of digital marketing strategies. Since 2016, he's committed himself to helping beginners get started and succeed with email marketing, paid customer acquisition, technology selection, SEO, and much more. If you're interested in learning the exact strategies he's using to generate profits online in 2019, this episode is for you. We're lucky to have him on and are grateful for the opportunity to share his insights with you. I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 114 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Miles. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here, man. Great. Appreciate you coming on. Really excited to chat with you. And to get started, let's let's talk a little bit about you and, and your background. How did you get to come to the place where you're doing what you're doing? What were the early days like that that got you into this?
0: yeah so i graduated high school um in the san francisco bay area in 1999 so my world view is kind of based on that environment of lots of people were making lots of money easily through web stuff um, i had friends who were webmasters it was just the culture so that seed was planted at a very early um, phase for me in 2003 i learned kind of an affiliate marketing kind of a hack where i was direct linking people from myspace to affiliate programs, which for anyone listening, it's the wrong way to do it. Um, but it gave me my first taste of actual internet income. And that's when it became real. Uh, that completely collapsed because of a change of terms of service. Um, because I wasn't building a list. I wasn't adding value. I wasn't doing any of the things we need to really do to grow a business. Um, then, you know, I went on about six years of challenge after challenge, tried maybe 15 different niche sites, ended up meeting my beautiful wife in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we co-founded a website in the spirituality and meditation space, which is um we both were meditating a lot. We weren't satisfied with our lives, but meditation felt good. We started sharing that with the world. So that was in 09 and still today in 2018. Uh, that's that's still the the main business that we're growing and I started in 2016 teaching the bits and pieces of what we did to grow that business at scale. Um I've started teaching that on under Miles Beckler on YouTube essentially. So this is you're talking about askangels.com, right? Correct. So when you started that in
1: 2009, what were those early days like for starting that site? Did you have a plan? you know
0: so i had a a theoretical plan so we were coming out of an absolute failure as i said i tried like 15 20 different businesses uh in those years and at one point i got into one of those kind of um i call them me too marketing scams where essentially you you buy into what they sold you and then you turn around and you go sell that to other people again i was looking for shortcuts and i i wasn't doing the work to build a real business we went all in on that business model. And when I mean all in, I spent the last of my rent money in doing the things they said to do because, you know, just keep drinking the Kool-Aid and eventually it will work. Um, it went... To bust, it went flat out to bust. I couldn't afford rent, and my wife and I had to actually move back in with my parents. Um, My dad was seventy years old. Very, very small house. Uh, I had these big promises to my wife, and literally, it felt like my world fell apart around me. And I was not delivering on my promises to my beautiful new bride of this successful entrepreneurial life. So, out of that, that was literally where we were when we started the Ask Angels website. And out of that, we were able to scrape together ninety five dollars and forty cents for web hosting and a domain name. And that time it was different. It was like, you know what? I'm not building it. We're not giving value. And we had this kind of like heart to heart. My wife was just going to go forth publishing great content about the one thing that we've enjoyed through all those years, which was meditation. And I was going to do the geeky SEO, the optimization, the keywords, and I was going to learn the back end. Um, we couldn't even afford a paid theme. We were all on free themes. I had no idea how to install WordPress. So we just went forward and literally through brute effort and we got day jobs because we were broke. So we went and got 40 hour work jobs and we would wake up at five in the morning and we work from five till eight 30 till we went to work. And then I'd work on lunch break. And then we work in the evenings till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And we just went all in i found a new gear so that that challenge of going to complete zero and going flat broke and having to move back in with my parents it actually like disgust can be such a powerful uh motivating emotion sometimes and i somehow found a new gear out of that and um we applied a ton of effort and and it's it's grown that site today gets about eight million nine million visits per year Um, and it's all content marketing pretty much
1: yeah i i really resonate with your story. In fact, a lot of your story sounds very similar to my story. There was a whole point where I moved back in with my parents, lost my job, lost a, a relationship. Uh, Member Mouse wasn't working out. This was early days. So there was that kind of like zero point where everything... But it but it, it was kind of a similar situation in a sense where prior to that point, I was I was trying to get other people to do the work that I ultimately... Realized that I needed to do so. When I came to my parents' house, I stopped. I was like, "Okay, I can't outsource this. I have no money left." I basically sat for four months straight, and I built version one of MemorMouse. And it took basically being siloed off in that space to get it done. And um, so, ultimately, blessing in disguise, right? And um, had you had that stuff that you were doing been successful financially, right? Yeah. It it still wouldn't have been good for you because you would have realized maybe later on, like, hey, like, yeah, we're making money, but hey, we're not happy. This isn't
0: what we want to do. This is, we're not interested in this. Totally. And not only that, but like if you're building a house on a sandy foundation, eventually that house is going to crumble. And it wasn't until we were willing to do the work. It's so interesting to hear that you were kind of forced by necessity also. I mean, we hit that point, that zero point of like literally bouncing off of rock bottom. Like I can't buy into any more uh shiny objects or any more, right? We, we as humans, we look for shortcuts because we think shortcuts are real, but th- the truth is shortcuts lead to long delays.
1: When I think it's also it's because we we are, we are didn't have the courage enough to believe in ourselves and what we actually were interested in. 100%. And so that's what I really love about your story too, is that it resonates with so many other conversations I've had where success in this space isn't about the techniques and just copying what other people are doing. It's about finding your interest and you don't have to have those shiny themes and all the bells and whistles in the beginning. Just start doing it. And it takes time. This is the thing. It takes time and persistence. And if people aren't willing to really wait around that long and give it time, it's like kind of like trying to bake a pie, but only saying, well, I'm only going to wait five minutes. And then no matter what I'm taking out of the oven, well, you're not going
0: to have a pie, right? Or I want to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to give it this afternoon. And if it doesn't work this afternoon, I'm just going to be like, hey, this stuff doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: So here you are X number of years later, and you have millions of people visiting the site. You guys are doing what you love to do. When you actually started that, what were some of the key turning points within that journey of itself? Like that kind of helped you jump from one plateau to the next?
0: Yeah. And there, there there've been many of these like quantum leaps along the way. I think the first one was, um, so through my failures in those years, I learned the basics of, uh, keyword research and on-page optimization. And when I say the basics, I mean the absolute basics of SEO. I taught my wife that at a very early phase. So when she went all in on content creation and she started with a 90 day challenge, which is what I teach people to do today is publish one piece of content a day for 90 days. It's a brutal experience, but it, it helps on so many levels. But anyways, when she did that, every single piece of content was focused on a specific keyword. So just that little tiny kind of insider foresight to be focusing all of our attention on the keywords that people are searching. What that's done is it gave us, now we're receiving the kind of like compounded benefits from all of those early years efforts, plus what we're doing today. So that was phase one. And we, we were running full speed ahead for several years, just content, content, grow the list with an opt-in, but just content, content, content. Then the next level up was when we ran our first funnel, when we finally created a dedicated page that said, would you like this free thing in exchange for your email address? And then that really started to scale the email list growth.
1: So prior to that, you were just doing content. You didn't have, you weren't collecting any emails, you weren't selling
0: anything. So we were, but it was indirect at that point. It was the kind of basic AWeber form in the sidebar. It wasn't right. like a clear direct response marketing approach at that point. It was an indirect response marketing approach, <laughs> which you get indirect results when you're not directly asking for a specific action. Um, so when we kind of siloed that out, we got the pop-up thing going on, on the on the blog content. We put the dedicated landing page, and then we tacked on a one-time offer. And then we tacked on a one-click upsell. Now, we, we ran with just a one-time offer after the opt-in for several years before adding the one-click upsell, just fine-tuning and tweaking. This is when I really got into the world of conversion rate optimization. And at that point, I started running paid Facebook ads, which was very, very early days of the Facebook ads platform because we finally had a series of steps that a new individual could go through. And essentially, enough people were able to pay for new products that covered my ad spend on the day, so I could like end my day at, at zero. I paid a five hundred dollars in ads, I got five hundred dollars back in sales, but my list just grew by thirteen hundred people.
1: No, I hear people talk about all of the things that you just mentioned a lot, and it always sounds so logical, so straightforward. Like, okay, you you put a direct offer in front of them, you get their email, they enter into your funnel, your funnel has ways of communicating with them, give give something for free up front, and then at some point uh get them to convert to another offer. Once you've optimized your funnel, now you can push more volume through it because your conversion rates are good, right? <laughs> this isn't a secret. Like everyone knows this for the most part. But the thing is, where's the challenge? Like how, how is it that it's still a problem that we can't <laughs> get this to
0: work? Yeah, it is the most difficult thing to get to work beyond that. Like literally, I will honestly say that it is it is an incredibly difficult process. Seth Godin in his newest book um, that just came out, um, this is marketing, I think it's called Great Book. I mean, he literally goes on record on that book and says like 99% of marketers will never figure out how to create a self-liquidating funnel. So one of the value moments that we had was those three to four years of nonstop content marketing, giving value, reading the content. Comments. My wife was active in social media. Three years of creating art, right? Like it's written, it's it's audio. This is our art that we're creating. We love this. We're creating the best thing we can for our audience at all times. And then we engaged with them and we learned about them. We learned about their problems. We learned about what they're actually seeking in life. And it took an, an intense amount of trial and error. It really took me another several years to dial in through split testing and and just feeling like I was flushing money down the Facebook advertising toilet to really dial it in, in a way that works. And it's one of those parts, the whole internet marketing game is like this. It's, I mean, it's simple, but it's not easy right. at all. It's incredibly difficult because there are so many moving pieces and, and we think logic is enough, but emotions actually drive the human beings. And, and we put all our energy in building this thing. And it turns out nobody wants that thing. Right. And it's, it's, our emotional game, our physical energy, life energy that we're putting out. Not to mention, you got to pay rent, you got to do the other life things, and so in that simple explanation of the path, um it, it was an incredibly difficult process. Copywriting has been a, a great skill to add on, and I think that's something that every marketer can. You know, we can always go further with our copywriting chops and and with helping people get that which they already want. But but we sell, we we help people connect with things they already want. We're not creating desire. We're not we're not making up things or or pushing products at our people, thinking that this is what they think they need. Like we're really truly helping them get what they already want, and that's a magical alignment. It takes a lot of research, and and it just takes a lot to figure out what that is. The more
1: kind of mature I've gotten, I recognize that in all of its complexity, there is a simplicity to this, and it's that you're just trying to have a conversation. What do you do when you meet? Person one on one. If you want to be of service, first thing you have to do is listen. Absolutely. And then once you've listened, then you have to determine okay, do I have the ability to provide this person legitimately with what they're asking for? If I don't, then find where they can go who's not me. If I do, then great. How do I package that? How do I give that to them? Because this is, if it's a conversation, you just talk. But the I think one of the things that gets complex and complicated about this world is that everything's kind of an abstraction. We're having conversations, but yet we don't like you and I have never met. we're having a conversation right, right, but we don't get the benefit of being in the same space with each other, not to mention if I'm trying to have a conversation with a hundred people, a thousand people, a million people at the same time. So the question is how do you deal with these large numbers, yeah. And how do you listen to a large group? How do you ask for feedback from a large group? Let's start with that. I mean, I think it's a legitimately important question because listening is how you deliver, right? You have to know what they want. So how do you, what are the ways that you, uh, tools and
0: strategies you use for listening to your audience? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the biggest things to do is to ask them, right? So my wife, she built over the years of when Facebook's organic marketing was good, she built a Facebook fan page up to about 900,000 fans organically. Um, Mm A lot of potential for feedback of, hey, I'm creating this new course that's about this. What would you like to know so I don't miss anything? And then they feel like they're actually giving feedback. They're actually helping you create something for them, which is a different kind of uh, proposition, value proposition in that situation. We run surveys. We definitely do surveys i just use formidable forms right on on wordpress itself and and i'm i'm consistently asking for feedback on new ideas but generally speaking um you know we've got four or five books on on amazon we can just go look in the reviews the web 2.0 enabled all of those people to to become critics in one way shape or form right they might be raving fans they might be uh criticizing us from the YouTube comments to the the Instagram comments, to the Facebook comments, to the Amazon Kindle replies. It's pretty easy to find the passionate individuals and to find those things. It's more a process of being willing to take the time and to see that there's value in listening and to ultimately just invest in yourself in analyzing. And I think critical thought too, because we put out products that we thought, This thing is going to, this is it. We, we got it. This is our irresistible offer patting ourselves on the back before we ever launch it. And we launch it to just crickets and like nothing happens. So we've been humbled enough to realize that we actually don't know what they want. And that kind of almost at all times, it's a, it's a constant process of engaging in that feedback loop. Um, we also email our lists incredibly regularly. So I email every day, the the Miles Beckler list that's built off of that stuff. My wife emailed in 90 days, she does about 75 emails every 90 days. So not quite every day, but still right. over five days per week she's emailing. And people reply, we get literal replies on that. And we're we're directing people to to YouTube videos and to to posts and to different things. So there's always that comments section that always fills up. And we take time to go back and look and, and think those critical questions of Why did that happen? Or why did, where are they? Okay. If they're saying that, if that offended them, why, like, where is that individual? And it's that, that process of literally projecting yourself into their life to try to understand not just not their demographics, right? 44 year old woman who lives in this zip code. It's not about that. And it's even beyond those psychographics. It's not what she likes on Facebook. It's literally like, where is this woman in her life? And where does she think she's at? And where is she trying to go? And, It's a lot of abstract thinking mixed with a ton of testing and, you know, the data on open rates and click through rates and conversion rates, that data paints a very, very clear picture beyond what people are willing to say in uh, like a survey. You can ask people, hey, would you buy this? And they'll be like, yeah, I'd love to buy that in a survey, then send them the sales page and see what they do with their credit card. That's the real data. Right. And quick question, how reliable are those open rate stats? Not very at all. And we're, we're actually running some really interesting tests. So her list is about 150,000. And there's new challenges that, that happen at that point with the volume of mails we're sending. Um, so the open rates are not at all. The click-through rates are a bit better pieces of data. Um, but ultimately, it's it's that conversion rate. It's that that second step on once they, they reach the, the page where we control that analytics pixel and getting into our cart and, and all those successive steps.
1: And one comment or thought that I had when you were talking about um, the different ways that you communicate with your customers from the Facebook fan page through emailing, one thing that stood out to me is you mentioned the consistency, because I think that that's a really important aspect, because if you have an email list, And you only email them every once in a while when you have something that you want from them. Yeah. You haven't set the correct tone. You're not engaged in a conversation. You're basically busting in on them at dinner time, calling them on the phone. You haven't built the relationship
0: up. Right. There's there's a big difference between the technical permission, like, oh, they bought my thing. Therefore, they're subscribed to my list. and, And according to the cam spam laws, I'm legally able to email that person versus I've built enough rapport and enough of a relationship that they're going to miss me if I don't email them. And that's real permission is when they actually look forward to your messaging. So one one tip I'm going to throw out there for everybody listening is when we know that we have a product coming up, we're like, OK, there's going to be a product we're going to launch next week. We start today. OK, where am I in my email sequence now? What story and stories are like so powerful? This is probably one of the other level ups that we've experienced is the power of stories. What story can I start to tell now through value add emails, right? The old jab, 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 hook idea of give, 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 then ask, how can I paint this this journey or story over the next five, six emails that lead the user to on the day I'm ready to launch this product to feel that they need that which the problem solves or what what the product solves, right? So we're, we're always trying to think three, four, five, six steps ahead versus oh gosh, I just finally finished this thing. I need to launch it today. Let me send out an email to my list that I just sent an offer to two weeks ago and haven't talked to since. That's a big problem. And that's how that's how 80, 90 plus percent of marketers treat their lists, unfortunately. Now, one thought that comes to mind for me personally, because I don't
1: have the experience of writing 90 emails uh, over 90 days. How do you find
0: that much to say yeah and how do you find your voice right and that confidence so i mentioned earlier the idea of the 90-day challenge which we started our our first website on when i started the miles Beckler youtube channel um I, i just did 90 videos in 90 consecutive days so i did the exact same thing when i started email marketing every day was i was like i'm just gonna do it and it was extremely difficult It forces us to grow and learn, and it's that commitment that forces me to start looking at my world around me. I'm always observing, like, okay, where's the lesson here? Where's the lesson I can teach my audience? And I'm, it it triggers me to start looking for anything and everything I can share with them to help add value to their lives. And then, I mean, it was brutal. It's extremely, extremely difficult, but you get better at it right especially when you condense the learning curve down right like so someone who tries to write code and they'll, they'll try one day and then next week they'll spend a couple hours and the next week they'll spend a few hours trying to write code they're never going to get proficient at writing code but if that person locks themselves in their room as a terrible coder and they just they just figure it out and they watch youtube videos and they're on stack overflow and they're they're just figuring it out as they go along within 90 days if they've spent two three hours a day with it every day they're probably going to be relatively proficient. I'm not a coder. I don't exactly know. I hope that analogy applies here, but that's, that's the basic theory is you actually just force yourself to do it enough over and over. And for me, having that kind of commitment of I'm going to do this and a 90 day challenge isn't for everyone. Like people don't have to go do it, but I do think increasing the frequency of giving awesome value is a worthy venture for every business owner.
1: Yeah. And I think my guess is what you experienced at the end of that 90 days looking back, only a certain percentage out of that content based on the experience you went through, you were like, some of that was garbage. Yes. <laughs> uh, a, a small percentage of that was great, but it doesn't matter because the whole exercise was to put yourself through the trenches, find your voice, get some experience under your belt. And who cares? Nobody's going to go back in time and look at that stuff right? and and be like, hey, like I don't believe you now because- you made these mistakes or you said this in the past that didn't sound
0: convincing yeah it's, it's building a new habit right it's literally i rewired my brain to where now today i'm the type of person who mails my list every day that is my that is my baseline that is just who i am and what i do another cool thing is out of the process every once in a while i just wrote an email and it turned out to be this rant I'm like man that's good so then i'd go create a youtube video on it then i'd go kind of work it a little bit more change the the tone a little bit and put it on my blog so it actually does become a catalyst for content that gets leveraged in other ways as well.
1: Yeah. And I I was just talking to my good friend, Dan Karen, um, a couple of days ago. And one of the things that he said he's been toying with is this idea of how in terms of getting people to buy we're not getting people to buy but people actually buying it's kind of the right place right time right offer one realization he had over his years of experience is when you're doing that content creation because how do you get the right time you may have the right offer but if somebody's not ready for that offer it's not going to fly right. but how do you get an off the right offer in front of the right person at the right time that's a very tricky question to solve. That's, that's one of the main challenges a marketing person has to solve. Where are the channels that these people are going to come from? But the more content you produce, each one of those pieces of content with the keywords that are in there, and then the offers that are, go along with it in the sidebar or the pop-up or whatever, that increases all these different options, all these different doors that people can enter through. They find you through searching
0: for something. They read your content and now it's the right place, right time for them. Absolutely, that frequency of being out there. And you know, I had the fear and everyone has this fear when they start, like man, people are gonna unsubscribe. Like I'm just gonna annoy people. So one thing I've learned is most people they don't love the life that they're living. They're, they're kind of com- in that world. They're commuters. They drive to a place they don't love. They have to work in a cubicle. They don't necessarily love that environment. So if you can be a spark of fun, enjoyment, inspiration, insight, an aha moment, and a, a positive voice in their day, they can start to live vicariously through you. And they actually grow to love. It's almost like a radio show bit, right? People listen to that same drive time radio personality every single day. They don't grow tired of that individual individual, they actually fall in love with that individual. And that's what we can do through this email marketing. One other thing is, you know, my open rates are 20, 30%, but it's a different 20 or 30%. And the people I reached today that opened my email today might very well be a totally different 20% of my audience that I reached tomorrow. So if you're mailing once every two weeks and you get a 30% open rate, well, every day I'm getting a different 30%. So every fourth day, I've almost touched just about everyone on my list. The numbers go down when you get as big as my wife's list at the 150,000. There's the law of large numbers does some goofy things. Um, But my list is like 8,000 subscribers. And I'm literally able to kind of touch each of my subscribers once or twice every week this way. And I try to let them know, you know, I, I, I really give a lot of value because I think in the internet marketing world, so many people are just trying to get, get, get. And I'm just that one guy who like, I'm gonna give you an insight. I'm gonna give you something funny, something fun. I'm going to link to other people's videos, other people's podcasts. I'm just keeping them in, in tune with what I'm doing. And that's what leadership is, right? Leadership is like show people the right thing to do through your actions. Don't just tell them what to do. Like go that's actually good. dig the trench with them. Right, because the,
1: what the other people are doing in internet marketing is what you were doing and not being satisfied with before you found Ask Angels. Bingo. You were doing the thing where you were just doing what somebody else was doing and then telling you to do, which is multi-level marketing or it's basically like that. Totally. Another value, not being too concerned about people subscribing and stuff. The thing is, if you say what you really feel, then that increases the potential of the people who end up staying on your list being people who are actually interested in who you are. Right? Because there's only so long you can pretend like you're not who you are. Right. Chris Ducker wrote a book recently called Youpreneur. And that's one of the main things that he talks about. And one of the transformations he experienced in his life when he just like, stop pretending. Just because we're in business doesn't mean we're not people and we
0: can't talk about anything. hundred percent. And I think honestly... Um, I think people want that raw authenticity. Uh, so some of my best emails have been, I remember uh, I, I actually blew up my wife's website, like right as we emailed the launch, I tried to go change one thing. I, I messed everything up and the, the cart went down. <laughs> I think it was a 503 server error is all that displayed after we emailed 120,000 people saying, go buy this thing that we've spent months creating for you. Oh man. Everyone's oh. done it, right? We've all been there. So I emailed that to my list. I was honest. I was like, I blew it up and I did this whole long rant and people replied with like, I'm so. Glad to know I'm not the only person. And it's like sometimes admitting our mistakes, admitting our faults, being real, people follow and buy from people they know, like, and trust. And no one trusts someone who's perfect because ain't nobody in this world perfect we all got flaws. So let's just get it out in the open. And that's an old school copywriting sales copy tactic as well. Admit a flaw about the product early in the sales letter. And and you kind of overcome the objection of they're just trying to make themselves sound perfect. Um, but it's it's just real life. And even with my YouTube videos, like they're pretty raw. I don't produce them. I don't do anything fancy. Like for the first 300 videos, it was literally my cell phone and it wasn't even a new cell phone. It was just the cell phone I had on a little tripod. And I just went and I just shared what I was thinking. And there's something about that raw vulnerability that seems to be working better and better today. I think it's the web 2.0 thing. I think it's because everybody's a critic and we can all review each other and discuss each other on social or web 2.0 places.
1: Well, I think it's also because there's just so much information out there. But what is the value of information? Its value is very little. What people really like is having relationships. Yeah. If you can combine information and learning with relationship, then that's engaging. That's what people want. And um, I was listening, I'm not going to remember the name of a guest, but I was listening to one of Pat Flynn's podcasts. He was interviewing a podcaster and she was talking about her beginning experience with the podcast. And she's like, I just don't know if people are going to be interested in what I have to say. I mean, and plus like everything I have to say, people have said before. And then somebody told her, that, you know what, there's no new messages, just new messengers. And that really resonated with me because it's true. Like Five people can say exactly the same thing to us, but one of those people will resonate with us personally. The other four will resonate with other people personally. They may be saying the same thing, but the way that it's communicated and how it drives home and how it lands for somebody is different. So it doesn't matter if informationally you're saying the same thing.
0: It matters how you're saying it, who you are and how you're communicating. And also to go one more step further or to kind of rewind and connect with what Dan Karen told you, it's the timing of that message too, because sometimes we're not in a position to understand it fully. I'm working on challenge A, you're talking about challenge B, that just doesn't connect. But three weeks later, I might've overcome challenge A and now challenge B is staring me in the face and whoever emails me that day with the solution I was looking for, now it clicks. So it it is also a function of that, the timing of that message as well, but you're a hundred percent true, a hundred percent correct.
1: Now, going back to when we were talking about the conversation and the strategy used for listening, now, one of the fears that comes up with opening ourselves up to listening is when we do that, we open the door to praise, but we also open the door to criticism trolls but that, that's my question let's talk about ego, right how when you're opening yourself up like that to all of this spectrum, people with different beliefs, people maybe engaged in your content, giving you practical feedback, constructive criticism, and people who just like don't believe in what you're saying, having some sort of challenge in their life and as a result want to be a troll. But how do you sift through that stuff? How do you
0: know what to pay attention to and what to listen to? Yeah. And that's a great question. And everyone's personality is a little bit different. So, so the feedback can kind of do different things. Some people get fired up when they get negative feedback and it like literally like compels them. But other people, it can be crushing and it can, it can make them doubt what they're doing. Um, which is really, really challenging because I think most humans are, uh, just there's a lot of people on this earth looking for an opportunity to be offended. So for my wife's brand, one of the first things we had to do was literally remove all of the comments and the replies from her directly. They now go through a virtual assistant who runs our support. So we literally put in a human being that is in between. Now they're all filed in a way that we can go in when we're ready, when we have kind of the the mental awareness and we're ready to go look through that to sift through to see what kind of amazing ideas in there. It's ready for us on on demand, but it's not bombarding us on their time.
1: Yeah, I had to do that too with MemberMouse. Um, it gets really hard uh, when you know it's such a personal relationship with the product. Maybe what people are saying is just coming from a place
0: of some specific challenge they're having in that day. They could have got cut off on the way home, and their boss yelled at them, and they're all fired. like, And that's one of the things is you never know what people are going through in their life at that moment. So that's why kind of separating it completely. I personally have answered almost every single YouTube comment I've ever received in 450 videos in over two years. So that's that's literally to the tune of 10,000 individual answers from me. I, and, and YouTube is notorious for having the most trolls. So I use the block feature. I block specific phrases. I block individuals. I use that report of spam. I get them out very, very, very quickly. Uh, But still, man, you know, you get a refund and it was somebody who who took a lot of your time and all of a sudden they refund on right like first month. You're like, man, like, it does affect us as human beings. And I really think that there are, there's a personality type in this world that does great in customer support. So I think that's one of the best first places to go find a teammate. We found a great teammate in the Philippines. Uh, she is amazing. She does all kinds of other things for us, but, but removing yourself from that support, the moment that the finances make that possible. Uh, I was customer support for Melanie's brand for several years until until we had the cash flow that that made that possible. But um you know Seth Godin uh, to to bring him up again uh, he doesn't look at his Amazon reviews at all and he hasn't for 5 years and he had to stop. He turned off comments on his blog. He has written over 7,000 blogs on Seth on his blog and he also I think I don't think he has a YouTube channel at all. So um so he's just turned it off. Like I'm just not I'm not interested in your feedback because there's that old adage of you know, if um, Henry Ford asked people what they wanted, they would have told him right. that they wanted a, a horse drawn buggy. <laughs> where's the horse? Yeah, where's the horse? Where's the buggy? Right. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I'm creating something new. And the same could go with Steve Jobs with the iPhone, right? If, if he asked people what they wanted, they never would have come up with that. And that's, that's innovation, but then there's iteration, right? So, so people's feedback is great for iteration, but it's not always great for the innovation phase. And I really think we all need to treat our content and what we're doing in the world as art. This this podcast is a form of art, your willingness to take the time and put it. This is your art. So artists and the feedback and the critics, like it's so easy to be a critic, but all those critics, I look at them on YouTube, man, none of them have ever put out a video and they're trolling and they're telling me what I should be doing. And I look and they've never put out a video. They got zero subscribers and they're telling me what I should be doing because they're just going some, through something in their life. And Yeah, we all have to find our ways to deal with that because it is a very real part of the process.
1: Yeah, and I a hundred percent agree with you about everything being art. In fact, when I was the primary coder on Member Mouse, I took it to the level where I was very particular about the white space that I used when I was writing my classes. Nobody is ever gonna see that. Yep. But it to me it makes a difference. I actually believe in all the software that I've written, when you have clean things behind it, everything has the intention built into it. everything. And that comes through whether or not there's a something visual that somebody can engage with. And then you're talking about, I really love that, that um, statement that you made about innovation. Wait, what was the second I word versus iteration? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it made me think about your comment earlier about, Hey, when the numbers get to 150,000 on the email list, something changes. And it's like, Hey, maybe that's what happened. With Seth Godin. Maybe there's a point at which the numbers get to a point where it's like, look, I, I've learned enough. I've done my 90-day challenge. I've done my 10-year challenge where I've done this. I have a sense about things where I just need to put the content out. Yeah. And These things are a distraction, so I'm going to remove them. Now, going from there, when you get you, cause you talked about your product creation and how, you know, some of your products did really well. Some of them met with crickets, given the number of products you've released and the experience you've gained from those things, how do you approach your product creation different? Do you spend more time in, in the investigative phase and the asking
0: phase? Yeah. So at this point on, on the ask angels brand, we have we put ourselves on a very aggressive micro launch schedule, which I'll call it. So we put out new sessions, new MP3s, new courses on an extremely regular basis at minimum one new per month. And we've been doing this for several years. So through that process, we've, we've just seen through the feedback, through the actual sales data from the, I pulled my credit card out and purchased data, what works and what doesn't. So we, at this point in that business have a very clear understanding of the types of things that work, the, the dates of the calendar, because for our people, the the spirituality world there there are certain dates on on the calendar that that just they work so we create things on the dates that work and we we slowly have just evolved our approach um On the Miles Beckler brand, I did a lot of asking questions, of asking for surveys, asking for feedbacks. I would uh, email my list and ask them to go to do a survey on a standalone thing. On YouTube, I would make a YouTube video and I just asked them to comment in the comments below to get that feedback from them. Uh, Anyone, It's kind of like, where do you have an audience, a captive audience, and how can you get them to kind of give you their two cents right then and there versus trying to get my YouTube audience to go to a standalone landing page because that's off the platform that I met them on. And so, in the early 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 periods we did a lot more uh investigation and a lot more kind of asking of the questions to really try to identify what is this thing that you want um but now once you once you go through the cycles enough and you really get it you 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 pretty much get a clear path and then you that's that's ultimately the strategy the tactics to achieve the strategy we change a bunch but but that strategy that core strategy of we hit these dates throughout the year this is how we're going forth um and then we built and offered a membership program. Uh, since this is, you know, what the, the kind of point of the podcast is that, that people are just going to get everything we're ever going to do. We committed to this point. We actually didn't have anything in that membership program when we sold it. We wrote the letter. So it's that minimum viable product idea. Uh, we wrote the sales letter of, you know, we've found that these are the dates that are the most impacting that people like the most. So what we're going to do is if you want to just buy in for one monthly fee, you're going to get all of these things. It's going to save you 75% over the course of the year. We've had some members with us for four. Plus years now.
1: That sounds great. And let's continue in this vein. Sure. You know, I love these practical things that you're talking about. And, you know, it's the new year. Uh, around this time, people are re-looking at their business, what worked and what didn't in the past. And there's a particular segment of member mouse customers, and I imagine just people in general who are who are trying to start businesses. There's a particular segment that I I want to address particularly because. There's a certain set of customers who are on our top, top line. They have no problems. They know what they're doing. They're going through the iterative process. They know what strategies to implement. There's a certain people on the low end who, who just don't have what it takes. They don't, they don't know what they want to do. They don't have the commitment, but then there's the middle section. And these people are the ones that I'm really interested in, in providing some practical guidance to for this year. They have something that they're really interested in, that they're compelled by, and they want to share, um, they may not be super familiar with all of the this world that we live in, but they want to release something to the world. So what can we do? What, what are the
0: things that they can do sure. to kind of get the ball rolling? Absolutely. So the, the first place I would always look is what assets do you have? What have you already built? Right. Um, so specifically to get really, really tactical about that, do you have a customer list? Like have they sold something? Because the, the fastest and easiest way generally for most businesses to make more money is to go sell more things to your past customers. They already trust you enough. They've proven that to take out their credit card and buy something. So what's that next itch that they need to scratch? right? Like you help them with problem A with your first product. Cool. What is their next problem? If you don't know, survey them, ask them, Hey, I, I'm glad that you joined me on this journey for product A. And I've been thinking that this might be a great world to help you with. What is your biggest problem around you know, problem B that you'd like help solving and you'll be amazed at what people will pour out of their hearts. Then the next level is your email list, right? Do you have an email list? If you do upload that thing to, to Facebook, get that as a custom audience inside of Facebook and a, you can run an ask campaign to them directly where you're paying for ads to actually ask them, what is your number one challenge around blank and that blank is what you help people with right so in in my wife and my world that's the the meditation the the spiritual development side of things you should know what that is for you at at that middle ground i think so you're literally asking them like leave me a comment below and and some people it's almost a hesitation to like wow you want me to pay to run an ad to like not ask something not ask someone to buy something And you could, you could make a sales page with a minimum viable product idea, which I call that a minimum viable funnel. And you could, you could try to sell something that maybe you haven't created to get sales data on it, but it's a lot cheaper just to get an ask and to get an engagement on Facebook than it is to get them off of Facebook. And your conversion rate is probably going to be massive. And if you can get a hundred people, a hundred people who have taken an action, so a hundred leads or even a hundred past customers or, or both, if you can get a hundred people to tell you what their number one challenge is with If you're in the weight loss space, right? With that, losing the holiday weight would be what I would go for right now. What's your number one challenge with losing those holiday 10 pounds right now? If you can get 100 people to tell you what their number one problem is, there, there it is, that's your course. Now you just need to organize the ideas, you need to put it into a structure, that is what you go create, that's your next product to send out to the world, and then obviously you have those audiences there that you can retarget to. Um, so I think a lot of people stay so focused on cold traffic because they think scale, I gotta scale, it's such a buzzword to scale, but man, I think so many people are leaving money on the table with being of greater service to those people who already trust them, because that trust is the most difficult thing and it's so much easier to sell to the current customers. Um, To go extremely tactical, uh, aside from the engagement-based campaign to ask them what they want, I love Facebook's conversion-based campaigns because you're leveraging Facebook's A.I., and Facebook's AI knows a lot about each and every one of us. They know who the buyers are. And when you work your ad campaign and your ad set built in a way that lets Facebook's AI run to find you your best people, that's really where I found amazing, amazing honey holes of, of leads and customers is through not putting too many parameters on, like people go into Facebook and they're like, okay, I want people who make $150,000 a year and I want women who are 52 to 54. It's like, yes, yeah, so does everybody else. Let Facebook's machine find who your best buyers are and then, how do you minimize the number of steps on a conversion campaign? Um, there's something we're doing now that we're we're in the testing phase of. It's called well, it's like a, a one page funnel, and you can do this with member mouse. It's where you actually put the sales content on the same page as the checkout process. It's generally above it. So what you do is the advertisement on Facebook is actually the sales message. So like my sales letter, it's a long copy ad. I'm talking 1500 words, sometimes more than that or you put your actual sales video or you do your webinar as a Facebook live. You actually do it live, and then you link them over to a checkout page that has the headline. It has that sales video built in. It's got your bullet points. It goes through the bare minimum things to get somebody ready to buy, and it's got the checkout below. And what you're doing is you're reducing the friction. They no longer have to go read a sales page and then click to get to your checkout page. It's all right there on one page. Set that up as a conversion-based campaign, and... Facebook is tracking who makes it through that first page. You're only really paying for the people who click and people who click, they saw your pitch. They know it's a pitch, right? They know because they watched your webinar on Facebook or they read your entire sales messaging in that long ad. So they know that this is a product. So what you're doing is you're pre-qualifying people on Facebook first, and then you're offering them something to buy. Here's where this plan goes into turbo mode when you retarget people who went to a checkout page for an opt-in, there's a massively higher likelihood of them being a great prospect and a great customer in the future. Odds are it wasn't the right time for them because they already took an action knowing there was a product there versus a pure curiosity-based advertisement that's just like, like get my free thing that's going to teach you how to do all this fancy stuff, right? That that super curiosity lead magnet thing is going to bring a lower quality prospect than literally someone who clicked on a sales message to look at your checkout page, who deeply consider buying your thing, maybe decided it wasn't right for them right now. Those are the people you want to follow up with. Those are the people you want to get on your list. Okay, great. So to clarify, the sales message is on the Facebook
1: ad and then you're sending them to a landing page that's actually a checkout page with sales copy above. And then for those people who don't buy at that point, you're retargeting them on Facebook. Is that correct?
0: Exactly. hundred percent. Okay.
1: So for me, being a newbie to Facebook advertising, what does it actually mean
0: to retarget them on Facebook and how do you do that? Right. So since you first met them on Facebook with your first ad, you know that they're, they're a Facebook user. So it's obviously kind of better to go meet them where you met them the first time. You use a functionality in the ad system called the custom conversions. And what you do is you go create an audience that's a custom conversion that's based on people who reach your checkout page, but don't reach your thank you page. So this is all done with a Facebook pixel. The pixel needs to be on every page and you just set up a custom conversion for your checkout page. And then you put a custom conversion for the thank you page that people get to after they buy. And so when you run your retargeting ad, you're targeting people who made it to your checkout page, but did not make it to your thank you page. So this is the audience of people who clicked from Facebook. So they proved that they're interested enough in what you're selling. You've already told them you're selling something. So they know you at some point have something to sell and then they didn't buy. So maybe the timing wasn't right. Maybe they're standing in line at the grocery store and and that's when your ad popped up and they want what you have, but the timing wasn't right. You retarget them with either another ad for a sale, which could be like a three reasons why you need this ad or with an ad filled with customer testimonials or that's when you focus your kind of opt-in lead magnet, and you, you offer them your lead magnet. They'll probably have a higher likelihood of saying yes to that, and since they've already seen a sales message, they have a higher likelihood of becoming a customer long-term.
1: I'm literally like just trying to process all this in my mind. It's, a, it's because it it looks beautiful. No, I it it looks really amazing but it's there's there's a lot of wires going there, on. there is
0: and <laughs> so the easy way to think about it is what we've done is we've removed the traditional sales page from the equation and what happens is you're able to seed facebook's ai with more conversions and you're showing them conversions of customers and then facebook's ai will go out of your audience and find more people who look like those people who bought from you and it's just a uh, uh, So we've run this now four separate times. The first time it no, not the first time. One out of four, the first time it absolutely flopped. One out of four has absolutely crushed it to the point where it paid for all of my losses. Now I'm working on building this out for an evergreen system because that was a time focused, um, event that I ran it around. And now I'm working on building this out for an evergreen system. So it's, it's one of those other like simple, not easy. It's taking, there's a lot of conversion mechanisms into a very small space, just your Facebook ad and, and your checkout page. But if you, Already have a webinar script that's converting. If you already have things working, all it is is just kind of rearranging what you're doing to give Facebook's AI the best data and it gives you access to Facebook's best audience segments. Yeah, I love that. So I love this
1: as a a suggestion to do because the thing is, you know, especially with when you're starting a new business, you need to grow your audience, you need to have some traction. And part of that is putting the word out there, and so having an advertising strategy is one of the most important things, but it's also for me personally was something I didn't do in Member Mouse for years uh, just because it was such a black box, and I was intimidated by it, yeah, so I love that this is something that can be implemented, even if people are new to things now. One of the questions that comes up with talking anything about advertising is spend. Yeah. How do you manage that and
0: make sure you don't get eaten alive? Totally. Um, All right. You got your notepad out because I've got a very specific way of going through this. I call it the $5 Facebook ad process. And what I do is every ad set I run on day one at $5 per day. So my spend is then the total of how many ad sets am I running? right? So each ad set could be focused on my email list, or it could be focused on a lookalike audience, or it could be focused on what's called an interest-based audience, uh, someone who likes your best competitor. So I'm targeting all these different audience segments at $5 a day each. Essentially, I'm split testing audiences. Then I monitor the data and which audiences are giving me the best cost per lead and the best cost per customer. These are my KPIs, my key performance indicators. I don't care about my CPMs, which is cost per thousand impressions. I don't care about my cost per click. I actually sometimes don't care about my cost per lead, as long as my cost per new customer is within my KPI. And what's that number? It's how much I make on an average first sale. Right. I want that break even funnel. So when you run, I usually run set up like 25 or 30 different campaigns at $5 each. So that's up to 125, 150 bucks a day. And then after day two or three, half of them, sometimes more than half, sometimes are proving not to be within my KPIs. So I turn them off and the ones that are above my KPIs, like I'm getting 50% cost per lead, I'll double the ad spend on those. And the ones that are kind of break even, I just let them run. So it's a process of like refining and sorting them. I've got a video series that shows I, I how I built the campaign and then I followed it for four weeks, logging in, kind of explaining this as I go. But it's really, we put our message out to a lot of different audiences that have a high likelihood of wanting what we have And then we just analyze what's within KPIs, what's not. Turn off what's not, add money to what is, and you let it run till it's good. And then I repeat the process. And sometimes ad set A doesn't work, and then I'll rerun it three months later, and ad set A starts to work in Facebook. And Facebook, don't try to understand it. It is a a beast that has a mind of its own. Always test your assumptions of what didn't work. Always test your assumptions of what did work, because I will get 180 out different, Kind of uh, results from the same actions in different times well, I, I really appreciate you explaining it, and you know in
1: three minutes or four minutes that that's pretty good that you were able to lay it out like that and of course, I, I really appreciate how you explain things it's very clear. so my natural next question, since we're running out of time on the show and you and I could keep talking about this <laughs> for a long time, please tell uh, our listeners where they can hear more from you and uh, continue to follow you while they're going through these processes and ask you questions and and stuff like that.
0: Totally, yeah, Um, the number one place is on YouTube. I'm actually the only Miles Beckler in the world. So if you just Google Miles Beckler, like you'll find me, I've got a blog that's my name and and YouTube, but all of my like course type content is 100% free on YouTube. Um, I've been trying to stay up on my comments, but now that I've got about 78,000 subscribers, I'm, I'm getting a little behind on the daily comments, but if you comment on the videos, I often see it. And I try to reply as often as I can there. Um, I don't have a Facebook course that I charge. I think there's too many people who don't know what they're doing, selling courses. I don't want to be a face in that crowd. So I figured I was just going to give away 100% of it for free. Um, and you know, that's just my approach. So just find me on, on YouTube or, or wherever it is, just search miles Beckler. And, um, I appreciate your time, man. It's been been fun to get to hang out and connect. Oh yeah, I I certainly appreciate it. It's been great. And
1: uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime in the future, for sure. We hope you enjoyed this episode and are now inspired to test some of the valuable ideas and strategies in your own business. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to Miles for coming on the show and sharing his wisdom and strategies with you. And many thanks to you for listening to the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. To get the complete show notes for today's episode, including the transcript, recommended resources, and more information on miles, please visit subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 114. For more interviews with successful entrepreneurs who share their strategies for success, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. In our next episode, we'll be speaking with Clayton Olson. Clayton is an entrepreneur who has successfully built an engaged audience using YouTube. In fact, he now has over 100,000 YouTube subscribers on his channel. The crazy thing is, is that he only started his YouTube channel a little over two years ago. Clayton comes on the show to discuss his approach to content creation, audience building, and converting followers to customers. So stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you next time. So, we are back in business. Dramatic piano. So, to clarify, (laughs) the sales message is, okay, we're not going to do that.